Howard from the Perdomo Cigar Studios on the Black Stage in Indian Trail, North Carolina, and broadcasting from the Jewish State Studios in California. It's episode 236 of the Primetime Show. Tonight, we welcome Jared McKaylee, the president of Favilli Cigars. And as always, the Primetime Show is sponsored by Saga Cigars. Delos Reyes introduces another chapter of the saga, the saga Celez. Celez is a Spanish word that means leisure after work. In the spirit of the standing ideal of owning your own journey and making your own saga, Saga Celez is the perfect companion to omit those moments of choice, making them truly yours. The Saga Celeste carries a blend of Criollo Olor and Peloto Cubano wrapped in a selected Ecuador shade Claro wrapper that generously delivers with elegance, a surprisingly rich and balanced smoke. It's available in three sizes at an affordable price. Ask your retailer for Saga Celeste. And by Perdomo Cigars. Awarded Nicaraguan Cigar of the Year in 2014 by Cigar Journal, the Perdomo 20th Anniversary brand has consistently earned the highest scores in the industry and is the top seller in humidors around the world. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary blend requires tobaccos have been carefully hand-selected and are well-aged for a minimum of eight years. The Perdomo 20th Anniversary is offered in three distinct wrappers, a smooth, creamy Ecuadorian Connecticut, a rich, earthy Cuban seed Nicaraguan sun-grown, and a dark, oily Cuban seed Nicaraguan Maduro. Combining these beautifully bourbon barrel-aged wrappers with thick, high-priming binder and filler tobaccos gives each blend a balanced complexity with layers of rich flavors and smooth, elegant aromas. Perdomo Scott is a family-owned and operated company headquartered in Miami, Florida, with manufacturing and agricultural facilities in Esteli, Nicaragua. Perdomo's highly acclaimed cigar brands include the Perdomo Estate Selection Vintage, the Perdomo Double-Aged 12-Year Vintage, Perdomo 20th Anniversary, Perdomo Reserve 10th Anniversary Line, Promo Bono Bourbon Railroads, Promo Lot 23, Promo Mensa 70, many more. For great tasting notes and pairing information, check out the Perdomo website at www.perdomocigars.com. And of course, we want to mention Aganorsa Leaf. Great Leaf makes great cigars. Aganorsa Leaf stands out because of the distinctive flavor of the Coro 99 and Criollo 98 seeds that are cultivated by Cuban agronomists on the best lands in Jalapa and Esteli, Nicaragua. When you smoke one of our JFR, JFR Limited, Garbina Farm, or Casa Fernandez cigars, you experience the unique taste of aroma that makes Aganorsa Leaf special. Smoke one today and enjoy the signature flavor of Aganorsa Leaf. And finally, by Drew Estate. Check out and download the Drew Diplomat app for your mobile device. Keep up with everything going on in Drew Estate. Experience the subculture is the rebirth of cigars. It's available on iTunes and Google Play. For more information, check out www.drewdiplomat.com. And as always, all the live streaming for the Primetime Network of Shows is sponsored exclusively by Drew Estate, as well as the California Studios for the Primetime Show. And remember, our PCA recap coverage is sponsored by Dayless Race Cigars and Drew Estate. Well, welcome, everybody. This is Primetime Episode 236. Today is Thursday, July 28th, 2022. This is Will Cooper. I'm on the black stage here in the Perdomo Scott Studios, and I'm joined by my good friend and colleague, Mr. Aaron Loomis in the Drew Estate Studios. How you doing tonight, Will? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Great, great. So, Aaron, let's just kind of get right into it because we want to get started tonight with uh, Jared uh, from Favilli. So I'm going to go ahead and introduce him right out of the gate. Uh, he is Jared McKelly. He is the president of Favilli Cigars, making his primetime debut. Jared, welcome to primetime. Oh, cool, Aaron. Thank you guys so much. It's so great to be here. Finally, we've crossed paths how many times and not been on the show. So 236 is a great number. That's right. What, yeah, no, absolutely. Lucky, lucky number. That's a lucky number. <laughs> and, and, and I didn't say, but, but you're spotting that mustache. It is great on you, man. That looks awesome. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Yeah, I've been committed to the mustache in a very authentic way for a long time. So this is my thing. That is the way to do it, my friend. It looks good. 
it Thank looks good. Um, so first of all, thanks for making time to be on the show tonight. Um, it, it is appreciated. And we're really excited to have you on. Uh, we always love first time guests, but you and I have known each other for a, a while. So, uh, you know, we, and we've seen a lot of things that you're up to right now. And so that's great news. Absolutely. Yeah. We're just working real hard over here in Granada. So, uh, Excellent, excellent town to be in. Uh, you know, we're a little bit further away from our peers than sometimes you'd like to be, but someone's got to hold down the oldest colonial city in the continental Americas, and we're just very, very thankful and blessed to be able to do that. Yeah, no, that's great. Now, I've been there. Um, I've stayed there overnight, um, but it was before I knew of Casa Favilli. Uh, in fact, before I think there really was a Casa Favilli. Um, it, this was over, like, I want to say 12 years ago I was there, so... It was, a, but it's a, it's it's one of the great cities I've been to anywhere in the world. It's it's such a wonderful, wonderful place. It's, it's really unique. It's still got that colonial, very low and, and square layout. And uh, yeah, you know, we're we're on the uh, on the north side of the town over this little bridge. So uh, we're in a little bit of a newer area compared to some of the, I mean, some of the existing buildings and walls that are still there from 1700s, 1600s, even 1500s. So. Uh, great, great colonial town and a very fun place to be. Lots of visitors too. So yeah, no, it was uh, it was amazing uh, when I spent the like I was down there. Drew Estate used to take you there as part of the old cigar safaris when they first started, uh, and that was just like, with the monkeys and everything in these leathers. Absolutely. Yep, I think the monkeys are why they, they stopped going down there. I think there was an issue with one of the monkeys jumping on a boat or something like that. <laughs> they still do that today. Yeah. No, no, that's awesome. Uh, so, Jared, we always like to start things off. And um, we, um, when we have someone new on, we like to talk about their first experience about smoking a premium hand-rolled cigar. So why don't you tell us about that? Sure. So originally, I'm from Tampa, from Ybor City, actually. Um, so cigar was really a very, very uh, household word or a household item, you'd say. I remember uh, my family's in the transportation, public transportation business, and uh I remember just running around these different cab facilities, right? Public trans facilities. And you'd open up people's desks to see what cool things were in there when you're a kid, just getting into trouble. And everybody always had some like dried up cigar in or out of cellophane or some Cubans or a lot of Fuentes, right? A lot of JC Newman stuff. And uh, it, it was unique. It was unique. So I was very, very young when I tried my first cigar amongst my, amongst my family. I was super young. I don't remember what age, but uh Pretty sure I got kind of sick there. Uh, being a kid. And then as I got older uh, in high school, I began smoking cigars at around 15. Um, in high school, I also got into the construction business. And uh, then my thing was, hey, I needed to look mature and be mature doing this construction because here's this kid walking in, you know, selling a dream. And uh, I figured that cigars were a good way to do it. So I started chewing them when I go on like estimates and, and commercial contracts and whatnot. Uh, and then we do a lot of work at night. And then at night, usually it's in prefabricated buildings or, or you know, pre-construction buildings. So um, I would light up and run these machines and do my construction. Um, and that was my first real experience in cigars in, in high school. And then those first couple of years was, was attached to work. So uh, I really got to understand early the significance of that, you know, kind of like the Saga cigar name, right? That leisurely time, except my leisurely time was during work. Um, but yeah, that's my, that was my first experience. But in Tampa, it just, cigars are absolutely household, right? Cigar city. Um, and, you know, being in Florida, it's kind of like that too. But, um, but yeah, that was my first experience. Awesome. Awesome. That's good. And like I said, no better place to do it than, than in Tampa. Yep. So you, you eventually did make your way. You had, like I said, you, it sounded like you were doing some different types of jobs, but eventually you did make your way into the premium cigar business. 
Yes, I did. Yeah. So I had gotten into it because I was a, I was a fabricator of custom concrete pieces, uh, advanced concrete pieces and natural stone. I began traveling around uh, doing natural stone jobs all over, uh, whether it be antiquated, uh, antiquated reproductions or, uh, or big antiquated restorations all the way up to, you know, higher end individuals' homes or higher end businesses and whatnot. It was all about natural stone, which was my love. Uh, my family goes back with natural stone also some generations ago, a very Italian thing to do. And um, then, yeah, I got into concrete also, uh, finishing concrete, but then really got into this, this artistic stuff. And a gentleman, uh, a gentleman had uh, commissioned me to create him some outdoor concrete ashtrays. This was some time ago, 2012, I think it was. And um, what we did was we created this ashtray that would basically was the shape of all of these very common pavers. So you'd go near your pool uh, in Florida or wherever you were, and you'd take a paver out and you'd be able to replace that paver with this concrete that would stick up above the other pavers. So that way you could swim to the edge of the pool, put your cigar down, enjoy it at a very deep base so wind wouldn't blow nice. out. That's pretty water cool. Yeah, that is. <laughs> water would get in it. It's concrete. It would dry right away. Yeah. You know, you'd save a cigar in there. And then we started getting into all these concrete accessories way early before they became popular. Um, so yeah, so I saw a unique opportunity and a niche in there. I, I got a partnership with Pelican cases. We started selling them in these custom Pelican cases. And then I began traveling around. I thought I was like the concrete James Bond with my Pelican case. <laughs> That's awesome. On the plane. And then, yeah. And then actually I met an individual, um, uh, working, uh, in, in Tampa, in Ybor city. I was, I was at a buddy's shop for a while there, uh, just in between some stuff, doing a little bit of retail help with him and helping him get some brands and some different things uh, going. I met a couple of guys from Drew Estate and then uh, it was really nice. Dev uh, Kamenitsky actually uh, did an interview at a, at a good shop there with me and he's like, do you want to get into cigars? And I was like, yeah, you know, I kind of been thrusted into it. I go to the events. I like to buy. I like to do these things. I've been smoking for a while and, you know, you're at that point in construction too. You're like, this is the crux and you well, yeah. for the rest of my life or I got to <laughs> try something else. Yep. I said, all right, I'll try something else. You never lose the trade. You don't lose the vocation. I tried it and I became a, uh, my first official, official gig in cigars that was working for another company or within the industry tightly was with Drew Estate. Nice. And what, what were you doing with them? Were you, were you, were you uh, a territory manager? Yeah, I started out as a territory manager in South Florida uh, when, when no one wanted to really go to Miami and sell cigars because it was everyone's friends area. And, and, you know, Drew Estate supported me well and we kind of made this like a very off-premise style thing. I used to do like 120 events a year. And uh, we just had a lot of fun in South Florida, built up some great shops. And then I moved over into the marketing department, became a brand entrepreneur alongside of a couple other really good guys. I think some are still there and a few others are not. And uh, it was this really cool pit and office where we collaborated with different brands to bring them to life. Um, and then what was really nice is uh, I, had a, I had a knack for Royal Agio. I love the Wintermans family. They took very good care of me. I had a very big knack and relationship with Juan Martinez and Dr. Alejandro Cuenca. And then of course, with the main man, Phil Zangi, yep. uh, a good relationship with Phil. So what happened was I found my niche in that brand entrepreneurship team with the, uh, with the smaller brands. And then Phil had asked me if, uh, if, if we could kind of get together. And I thought it was a grand idea. And I began representing him uh, while working for Drew Estate until, um, until he basically separated from Drew Estate and decided to go on his own and, uh, and start embarking on that journey. Yeah, I mean, you... I thought you, you and Phil were a really good team. Um, you really, I think, embraced a lot of what he was bringing to the table uh, at the time. So I thought you guys were extremely, it was just a very good partnership that you guys had. And I know we were just talking before the show, you, you, 
you obviously still are, are uh, you know, you obviously still are in touch with Phil and, and tight with him. Absolutely. Yeah. Phil is a, Phil is a, a true, true gentleman, you know, uh, not only is he a true gentleman, but he's a very real individual. Um, what you see with Phil is hundred percent what you get. So whether you like that or you're scared of that, it's all <laughs> that's what matters. high energy individual, uh, family man, um, you know, we, we both are, we both are pretty Italian, uh, as we like to say, uh, yeah. so we back and it, it was just a good mix and, and his ideas of different things was really classic and had a, had a such a unique approach that I, I, I thought it was, you know, I thought it was solid. Right. And, uh, still to this day, we still transact in, in tobacco and uh, when I can get tobacco from Phil, I get tobacco from Phil when I can, uh, when I can just call Phil, you know, call Phil, we'll text and. Uh, we still get together. We haven't seen each other uh, for a couple of months, but last time we did, we, we, we go out of our way to try to meet up, see each other, whether it's in Miami or something. But Phil's a, a very, very genuine man and has a, a good part of my heart and, and allowed me a lot of freedom to, to explore and uh, was always a friend. Nice. That's good to hear. Now, b- before you got the Favilli, were you in Europe for a while? I was. I was living in Europe and then back and forth for, for uh, two years in Cuba also. Oh, wow. Was it anything in the cigar industry or were you out of the industry at that point? Yeah, when I was with Drew Estate, I'd opened up, I'd opened up a, a travel business legally under the uh, mm-hmm. US Secretary Department and, right. uh, in OTAC uh, to do business and, and uh, had some ministries and whatnot also in Cuba. So I opened up uh, Tobacco Tours, which was a, uh, which is, pardon me, a, um, an outfit that basically takes you on the entire cultural experience um, through Havana, Artemisa, and Pinar de Rio. And then you get to spend some time out there at the, at the fields, farms, uh, and experience Cuban tobacco. And then uh, we do a whole cultural tour, too. So it's like a five-day all-inclusive thing. And I still have a little team in, in Cuba now that we're back after the COVID stuff. Um, but, yeah, we, we, grew pretty, we grew pretty large. We had a couple of vehicles down there, a pretty big team, and, and we're getting a lot of folks down there. So um, I, I never was able to live down there full time. But, um, you know, I'd be down there 25, 28 days at a time for, for two years. That's nice. That's nice to hear. Uh, that's nice to. Uh, I, I got to kill to Cuba once, and uh, you know, it's it's, you know, you put the government side aside. It's it's a it's it's an amazing place. There's no question about it. It's it's not only is it an anomaly. I guess that's a fair way of saying it without bothering anybody. But uh, it's right. one of the places like it is in the world, right? It's it's it truly is a star on the map, and uh, yeah. in terms of uh, its uh, exclusivity and its style and. Yeah. American culture is so strong, but yeah, unique, very, very unique place. Yeah. I mean, the people that I met there, they really touched me as well. Just, it was just, that's kind of what, you know, you take all the other stuff aside, like, uh, you know, that, that's, I think what made it incredible in my opinion is there were just great people I met down there. Always a smile, always so kind. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly the, the case. And, and, you know, everything going on around them. Um, so let's so let's kind of turn to Favilli right now. Um, and you came into the company at a time where I think the company was ready to undergo some major changes uh, previously as Mombacho. Um, so take me back to when you kind of joined the company and what the state of Mombacho, at the time it was Mombacho, what was the state of things uh, when you came in there and what was kind of the expectations that, you were given kind of going forward? Yeah, so I joined um, in October of 2020. And um, then I moved down to Granada in the, the very beginning of January of 2021. 
Uh, initially, the brand wanted to undergo an entire uh, brand change. There were some ideas on the table that were pretty well developed by significant companies out of Canada. The founder is Canadian, Cam Heaps. And um, Cam Heaps is, uh, is known for other industries like, uh, like beer and, and you know, boats, Pantera, electric boats. And so, you know, he, he came with, with some really, really great ideas and some really, really great things presented. But once I got down here, uh, Cam and I stayed together for, for six months, uh, every day, every day for six months, even decided to live together and, uh, and just went at it and said, what can we do here? So it ended up that we kiboshed some of those ideas that were put in place just because it needs to fit and be authentic. You know, when you're in a house that was built by a, a renowned architect and it's a historical landmark house and you have that, that gift of that, you really need to draw back to the authenticity rather than create something out of it to, to serve something, right? We can serve by, by being who we are authentically. So basically a couple months in, I'd ask Cam for the, for the ability to go deeper than just the directorship of sales. And uh, I, I got an ownership stake also in the company and invested. So um, I was a little bit more than sales initially, anyhow, but it was more than sales. It was bringing to life what this place is. So once he said yes, my plans, I think, were a little bit different than his. I, I personally undertook uh, an entire remodel of the, uh, of the building itself. Uh, historic remodel. Um, oh, wow. Yep. And uh, we're in the final phase now and about 45 days out from completion, uh, give or take Nicaraguan time. And, uh, and yeah, it was great. And the idea was let's bring to life th this true classic idea. You know, let's celebrate Granada, oldest colonial city uh, in the continental Americas, number one. Plus, we're the only manufacturer here. We'll celebrate Granada. Let's celebrate Fabili, the man who built this wonderful mansion, the man who contributed to so much of what you see in Nicaragua, whether it be the dome of the, of the cathedrals, uh, the restoration of the cathedral in Managua before it was destroyed, the finalization of the presidential palace, the Ruben de Rio monument, the things he did in Havana, the things he did in Italy and Pisa. Um, let's bring him to life because he's of the same essence. He's a builder, he's a visionary, right? He really has this, this great cooperative parallel story with Cam in many, many ways. And then the third element was what's bring to life experience. Uh, we do see roughly about 1,800 guests per year. Um, we do full transactions on first, second, third, and fourth floors. And uh, we're a huge tourist spot, right? So let's bring together those three things, the Nicaraguan experience, Mario Favilli himself, and the beautiful architecture that's celebrated as a landmark. And we underwent that. Um, it was in about March that we had decided that Favilli was the way forward. And then, um, and then yeah, we, we were able to, to, to make that change amongst the little couple bumps uh, in the industry, but we were able to make that change uh, quite smoothly and transition into an entirely new look and new approach to the brand. Yeah, this, I mean, I like to say, this was, well, this is how I'm observing it. This was just much more than rebranding some of your lines. I, I kind of looked at this, the whole company changed from top to bottom. I think everything that you were doing, it just seemed like you guys made a change with that. Um, is that a fair assessment? A hundred percent, you know, and that's why we've not been so loud in terms of things like that are quintessential or standard in the industry, right? When you talk about advertising or retail events or getting out there, you know, the idea is that, look, we have this, we have this unit here. We have really great business in certain areas. We have very unique markets because of our, our history and the people who have been involved that we can focus on. Let's really take the next two years and, and, and just blow this thing up as best as we can while staying completely authentic and while doing this the right way. You know, when you got to remodel a new building, it's one thing. When you have to remodel uh, a mansion from 1925 with concrete that no other building has for another 45 years in construction in a country, 
uh, it takes some time, right? So we opened up a, a very luxurious experience in Nicaragua. We have a third and fourth floor uh, luxury bar that's almost completed. Oh, nice. Uh, we've acquired another mansion also on the same block uh, from the 1880s, uh, pardon me, 1870s. So this, this stuff takes time, but we went in and out, brought in people like Indiana, um, you know, made blends that, that made a lot more sense for what we're doing, started going real horizontal with things uh, while focusing on building vertically again, um, you know, took new approaches, uh, took a luxurious side idea, made it approachable and, uh, and really went top to bottom, whether it be from whom and how we purchase tobacco all the way to manufacturing, our style of bunching up to, you know, employee processes. It's been, it has been a marathon and, you know, we're getting close to being finalized with the, with the remodel phase, as we call it. It's an entire remodel phase. Um, and then, yeah, what, what we plan on doing in 2023 is really bringing this all to market in the appropriate, in the appropriate way. When you came in as director of sales, I mean, did you know that there was going to be this transformation uh, and that your role was going to kind of go in from, from uh, director of sales to, you know, obviously having a stake in this whole thing? Yeah, so I came in with a stake, which is really nice, right? Okay. So, when you come in with a stake like that, you get to say, all right, you're going to put me in charge of sales. That's where right. my experience is for a while, construction and cigars. Then mm -hmm. I know I can, I can earn and I can do things. Uh, I didn't have quite a good look on the portfolio of who we were with, what we were doing, where we were selling. Uh, but I was able to break that down and, 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 you know, we were able to figure some things out together. Um, we had our best year last year, which is also something that, you know, we don't say pridefully, but just very, very, we're very happy to have done that. Um, it was a, a substantial year for us. And, uh, and, you know, it allowed us to take a look at, at these things. And we saw that out the gate. Uh, the, the, the reason why the transition came is because the, the communication and the relationship that was forged between Cam and I getting in, getting starting a project, right, um, was something really, really special. He's a unique man. I look at him greatly as a mentor, greatly as a friend. And, um, you know, about halfway through last year, he looked and he said, look, the, the direction is very, very clear. We, we now need we now need execution. And we need, to, we need to simplify that execution because that's how we'll do this the right way with all that's going on. And that was kind of his passing of the torch in many ways. Mm -hmm. and, uh, it was made, uh, the transition for me was made official in, in the beginning of, of, of this year. But yeah, I became, uh, became basically the, the, um, the spiritual leader and then the in-person leader of the company in about June of last year. Yep. All right, great. And, you know, as part of that, uh, when things started to happen, I think the first half last year, that's when you uh, you mentioned Indiana Ortez. Um, you brought her in um, to kind of run the factory. So Indiana's younger, but obviously you guys saw a lot of potential in terms of her. So I'm just kind of a little about her and why she was the choice that you made going forward and what, what type of roles is she doing right now? Yeah, absolutely. So Indiana is basically the director of operations uh, at the factory here. So the, the beautiful thing about Indiana being in that position is as the third generation of the oldest tobacco family, she comes from a, a great deal of experience, though she's not scared to shy away and say, I'm young, I'm explorative, I want to figure things out on my own. Um, I come in with a certain set of knowledge that I, I had to go through a hard time. You know, her family they're great, great people and they're tough. They don't give anything away, right? You have to earn it, even if you're in the fold with them. And uh, she got some wonderful experiences from her older sisters, from her parents who are great people. You know, her grandparents, who was one of the, one of the first growers in Condega. She brings that experience, but also she brings that, that wonderful, fresh new method. She inspires right. people, she gives them this breath of fresh air. Uh, she's young, she's communicative, she's easy to approach. And she has that certain style about her. And even in her profession, 
that is just different. It takes you down a different path. And whether it was us or another company or her for herself or whatever it was, you know, someone was going to grab this individual and, and give them the tools that they needed to blossom and grow. And then they know at that point that when she has that, that the return from that's going to be excellent because you're going to watch someone who's young, eager and vibrant, like just take the helm and, and go to war with you. Right. And that's what she's done. I mean, what she's done with the tobacco purchasing here, what she's done with tobacco rolling, what she's done with making the cigars from blending, from helping with the presentation, from helping with the marketing side of it. It's, it's so authentic in her. Right. And it's just an absolute treasure to have someone like that, like by your side, just going forward. No, that's good. I mean, we've, I remember when we talked to her too, and, and a lot of what you said is she was very transparent about what she knew and didn't know. I remember when we interviewed her, uh, a few years ago. So uh, I definitely saw those same qualities you know, when we talked with her. You know, that there's nothing to shy away from youth, right? If we're all here to build the experience and we're here every day fighting away at it and working to figure it yeah. out, we're going through those stresses and saying, hey, we'll get there eventually. We, we, we built this around having a little bit of time to figure all this out because we need it. Then you just got to let someone free and, and, and you know, we, we create some walls for us to stay in so we don't get wild and, and we go forward. But what she's doing, you know, what she's done with these new lines has been, you know, I, I wish that we could make some some more than we have right now because they're, they're doing well. Thank, thank goodness. But from those three new lines that you see, like right over here, these lead was the tear in the lava. Those marquee for her just coming out of the gate with those three for us is like, wow. OK, well, yeah. we're already impressed. And I think everybody's impressed by you. But that's like. Thank you for that. That's that's amazing work. No, no. And, you know, the first thing I saw uh, talk about the core line of uh, the Granada line, you know, the, the one thing I kind of always like when it was Mambacho, you know, the one thing I, I, I that was I don't want to say lacking, but maybe it is. But the colors of Granada are always something that stood out to me. Like, like you, when you walked, we were just talking, when you walk down the streets of Granada, it's the colonial colors and everything. And I think immediately you guys captured those colors on that core line. I mean, was that something deliberate that you guys looked at that and said, we got to add some color and kind of reflect where we are here? 100%. It's also the colors of the original Granada flag. Interesting. Okay. So, you know, Tierra, we wanted to pay homage to, to the original cigar, which was just called Mombacho, that turned into Mombacho Classico, which then turned into Tierra Volcan. Right. Um, we wanted to hold that. And it's the center of that core line, Tierra. It's, that's ours now for 16 years, right? And uh, everyone from the past all the way up until where we're at today has contributed to that and made something really unique that people have flocked to, whether it's been major peaks, troughs, it's been around. So our center of that core line, that tierra, is to pay homage to that, but also to talk about that volcanic soil since it is a Nicaraguan puro right. and harking back to the, the volcano's play and how that soil develops the best tobacco in the world, in, in our opinion, in Nicaragua, right? Um, and then the idea to bring that out was what's unique about Granada? Well, these lepers, you know, we have 500 islands that from, you know, from 1572 that blew out of Mombacho in a landslide, and now you have hotels there, restaurants, monkeys attacking people, yeah. whatever it is. So yep. they to bring up, and what are these letters? You know, not like your morning and coffee, Connecticut. These letters are one dot in terms of experience, relaxed, your lakeside. Maybe there's a breeze. Maybe the sun is out. And uh, we brought that to life. And then lava, that, that fiery red kind of Ferrari-looking box there. The idea of that was to do something that had power, uh, that had serious magnitude, but it kind of rests. It doesn't need to show you that it's there all the time. 
to have its strength, right? And that lava has basically built the foundation that Granada was forged on. So those are the ideas and the pillars of the Granada line. No, no, it's a, that's a interesting to hear that. But I think and the other thing I think that was important to you guys was, you know, Tierra Volcan was at that foundational line, but I think you guys realized you needed to kind of have that Connecticut, uh, Abano, or natural, say, and, uh, and Maduro. Is, is that was another thing you guys were looking at? Yeah, we were a Nicaraguan Puro company. Uh, nothing right. wrong with it. You know, to have three strong brands internationally, right? Tierra Volcan, Liga Maestro. And Casa Favili, uh, those, you know, to be Nicaraguan, that's, that's pretty impressive. Those are very, you know, those are very distinct cigars, those three. But the idea was to go horizontal and, and celebrate not only just that, but tobacco. And when we do a Nicaragua puro, when we celebrate Nicaragua as Nicaragua, then we do something that pays homage to Nicaragua. For instance, in this case, it's the company being around for a while and the soil. So you need to get out there and use these other tobaccos and, and, and have some fun. You know, in the Isletas, we're very, very proud of the Isletas, um, especially speaking of Phil and, and the Reyes family, you know, that's got Uncle Leo's tobacco in it. One of the first oh, wow. things did was like, hey, you got I me. Mean, have you smoked HVA from Uncle Leo? Have you smoked Cubano 2000? Have you smoked Piloto Cubano from, from Uncle Leo? Like, Indiana, please do something. And she's like, oh, you got it. Like, no problem. Um, so, you know, it was the idea to also bring around those types of people, like, you know, where we get our broadleaf from in Lava too. It's one of the older families. Obviously, we know what the Reyes family is like in the Dominican. We know what Indiana's family, the Ortez family is like in the Nicaraguan, in the Nicaraguan side. We have an old factory. We're in an old town. So let's present in this new way. Uh, let's present in this new way uh, some stuff that harkens back to the classic side of things, including families. Yeah. No, no, that, that, that's... Uh... That's really nice. But Tierra kind of remained true in terms of it's, it remained that Nicaraguan Porto. So it's essentially, that's the same blend, correct? It's very, very similar to that, to that same blend. Yeah. You know, we have had to do, we did have to do some changes and it absolutely needed a wrapper upgrade in our opinion. So we did that. However, yeah, mm -hmm. it, it's, it, it harkens back and is extremely reminiscent of what uh, those Tierra Volcan faithful friends, faithful fans I've always liked. I mean, when you smoke it and you smoke an older Tierra Volcan, you, you pick up on a lot of the same stuff. So she did an excellent job by stepping out of any type of egotistical or prideful blending uh, area and saying, you know what, let me let me do something for what already was. Okay. Is Letas, did, did Mombacho have a Connecticut shade beforehand? Uh, no, at, at one time they had worked with some Connecticut and some other brands and whatnot, but never something standard that was sold through through the Mumbai right, right. brand before. Never. So that was pretty important, obviously, to have a Connecticut shade, um, especially with the U.S. market uh, being uh, being you know as important as. And if you want to get a high rating from Aaron, you know he likes Connecticut. So. That helps. Yeah, <laughs> he's our Connecticut guy. <laughs> so yeah, guys out some other stuff also. Definitely. Yeah. Aaron, you'll like these letters, man. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice move. Nice. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. So, but I, I think, um, yeah, like I said, I was, I was excited to, to hear you were going to have that. Now you talked about this one dot, two dot, three dot thing. Talk a little more about that and why that was so important with the messaging with the Granada line. Sure. 1.2.3. For us is, is really important, right? We do a lot of, of consumer engagement for business to business or trade to trade engagement. And the dot idea really harkened back to a couple of things. One pillar of that is I come from sales. A lot of people come from sales. The first thing that we ask somebody in the humidor is what do you like to smoke or do you like mild, medium or full? 
if they're like a mild guy and you ask mild, medium, or full, you've really lost that medium and full. Because right. they're thinking about mild, right? If they're a full guy, you've walked them through all these things that, look, I don't want your mild or medium, man. I'm a full cigar smoker type of thing. And then most of your people are like, I like something smooth. They're nice, right down the middle. The dot is more, it kind of brings in profile, strength, time of day, um, how you can associate an experience. So he's let this being one dot. One dot out of three is just very cavalier and casual, you know, relax, whether it's the morning, afternoon or night, it doesn't matter. It's, it's at a time for relaxation. So that one dot embodies that, that profile, that strength, that blend, that smoothness. And that's what you pick up when you read all the dots together and you smoke in his letters, you understand why it's one dot. The two dot is something right down the middle, right? That's Tierra, right down the middle, not too strong, not too spicy. It's very, very Nicaraguan, but it's approachable by everybody for, you know, we're, we're a larger international company than domestic companies. So it's important for us to have something that can compare to like Habanos or other brands like the Royal Agios and things like that. And uh, that two dot did it perfectly. And Tierra was in the center and sat right down the middle. And three dot is basically what we call full expression. It would be considered more bodiful, it'd be considered stronger. Uh, however, all of the dots are approachable, approachable cigars. Nothing's too light and nothing is too heavy. So the idea of that pillar there for sales was to be able to communicate in simplicity, right? We see a lot of four out of fives or four and a half out of fives. And the problem is you come out with something that's not quite a five, but in the marketing side, you want to position it against your four in order to create a new segment. And now you're doing like 4.75 and it just becomes, it becomes a little chaotic. So the other pillar was, how do we simplify this? It's one dot, it's two dots or it's three dots. How do we implement that simplification into our blending and production process where if something is so crazy that it better be really good and really crazy where it harkens not mentioning the dot or it needs to fit in one, two or three. Okay. So it's, and it's a combination. It's not just, Hey, it's not just strange. It's not just body, but it's like all these things kind of factored in. You mentioned time of the day as well. Yeah, exactly. When you were on that boat heading to that Island on the, on the cigar safari, right? I just couldn't imagine you smoking a three dot cigar, but you see a blue box, you're on the water, you have a one dot cigar, you're relaxing, there's a little yep. bit of it's hot, you have a cold beer, a cold yep. beverage, whatever it is. You're one dot, you know, you're like, oh, this isn't offensive. I don't have to dig into this. The profile is not so crazy where I'm looking for things. It's one dot because you're in a one dot boat situation. And uh, three dot, the same thing. You've probably eaten, maybe you like espresso after dinner. Maybe the sun is setting. Um, you know, maybe, maybe you've had a couple cigars throughout that day. Maybe you're looking to sit down and have your beverage at the end of your day, your libation. And that's where that three dot comes in. Something that's more embodying and insatiating and whatnot. The two dot really is just like, if I don't know what to do, I'm safe. Right, right. Yeah. And listen, there's a lot of stuff I looked at with this Granado line. That I liked how you implemented it. And another thing I looked at that I thought was kind of fun uh, and, and somewhat unique you have a series of standard Vitolas, but then each of the blends you picked out a like a unique one to go in there. So it's, it's only available in that line. That's right. So we have a Toro, uh, the original, the first Toro size of Mombacho is a six and a quarter by 54. Mm -hmm. So we kept that as a Toro format. That's, right. that's it was kind of unique to us. Not right. the Vitola, but, you know, we made a lot of them. The Robusto, the original classical, the first cigar ever made for Cam was a five and a half by 50. And we kept it for that. Now, the original cigar did not have a closed foot like many of the years prior with Tierra Volcan. So we, we took that closed foot off. And then every Toro or every size in, in, uh, in brand or submark gets a Toro Robusto. 
And then what we did was we went ahead and we blended that particular core blend that we made for a particular size within each. So Isletas, because it's a Connecticut, a Gordo, six by 58, one dot, a lot of tobacco, larger ring gauge, mm -hmm. a, lot more to, a lot more to go through. It's easier to, it's a little bit easier to smoke. Uh, a durable cigar also for golf courses or if you're out fishing, whatever it is. Right. Uh, we had a, a kind of a cult favorite, the Corto, little four by 50 that was developed. And um, everyone loves this Corto. So that was easy for us. Keep the Corto. Everyone loves that little four by 50 shotgun shell type of cigar. And then the Lava was unique because we were bringing in Connecticut Broadleaf. Um, we were having fun and exploring some, some tobaccos and making a little bit more of a richer cigar than had come out of the factory prior. And uh, what we wanted to do was we basically wanted to celebrate uh, what people, what new people as we embark on this new journey with folks that we'd love to come to know. Uh, we did that with a broadleaf, which is what we believe is a, is a nice Corona. When you have a full Maduro cigar, um, you know, naturally it's, it's, it's a little bit thinner, so it's going to burn differently and it, it hardens mm -hmm. a little bit more back to that binder and wrapper combination um, amongst the fillers where it's not so much fillers. So we came out with a Corona and we call that the Fino. Nice. Nice. And then a couple other things, the packaging I thought was, I liked some of the, so there's, there's going to be a two types of packaging for these, correct? One is the forever boxes. The other is the environmental friendly boxes. So we've gone all in on environmental and environmental stuff, right? In terms of uh, reusable, sustainable packaging and whatnot, only because look what's going on also with wood, look what's going on with the standard boxes. So um, the international folks really, really like this. There's some new regulations in some other areas too that are coming up with, with you know, having to classify different types of wood. So what we said was, all right, well, we make this forever box. It's a beautiful box, vehicle quality paint and lacquer. You keep this thing, it has the magnets, it's firm. It's got velvet on the bottom of it. It's got your serial number, it's beautiful. And you know, this box could be presentable on someone's decoration, under a plant, whatever it is. So the idea was to make this, uh, this environmentally friendly packaging where you could get them in lesser numbers than 20 and just refill your box as you need it. And we do a lot of transacting with direct consumers. So these things really matter for us in terms of selling at price point, selling at availability. So the Enviro, uh, the Enviro program came out. We have a, what we call Enviro Lux, which are basically the same quality boxes as you see in the Forever box, but they are an environmental box. And then we have the Enviro, uh, the Enviro refills. The Enviro refills are basically uh, larger masses that we make, uh, bundles that we make of these products for like the international market, but it's unique cellophane with colors and whatnot. And then it's all like vegetable based and biodegradable. The newest thing too is the Enviro packs and tubes. The Enviro packs and tubes are all EPA rated, environmentally friendly stuff. You know, uh, we're all for saving a turtle. We're not going to serve you paper straws in our factory. Don't worry about that. We're not doing that. <laughs> However, um, you know, the idea is that when we can, when we can do something to to not only cut down on, on that type of usage, but also approach a market with things like lighter shipping, lighter shipping rates and different things like that that still have a high impact. Well, paper and paper products, environmental products, allow you to do a lot of things that, that wood can't let you do outside of the classic, necessary, and most beautiful, in my opinion, cigar box. That's what we did. So the Enviro Pack is a series of, of things that we make here. The good news is, is uh, we, we began undergoing an entire department for creating this environmentally friendly packaging here. So the idea is to create this, to create this, this unit here in Granada, where we can begin training additional people than we already have at the factory on how to actually create world-class packaging. Nice. Nice. And these Enviro boxes, they're, they're entirely made of like paper based product, right? Yeah, they come with like, it's, it's crazy. Not that you need it, but they come with like all these EPA ratings and there's actually recyclability, like, that's not just a recyclability sign. It's a real recycle sign. And, and uh, 
you know, so we're, we're big in Switzerland, right? People love to take our boxes home in Switzerland. Well, in Switzerland, you got to pay to dispose of your trash. And certainly you have to pay more when you're disposing of a wood box than you are. Oh, wow. Creating, right? So the idea is that, and Switzerland loves it. Same with Asia. You know, we do a lot in Asia and a lot in Canada. And um, all of those folks absolutely love that. Love that also. Um, you know, it's, it's just a unique and different approach that allows us to get really fun. Right. And um, you can still do a lot of the nice artwork on these things that you, you've seen. It's basically endless. The amount of design and things that you can do with, with this type of packaging yeah. really is endless. So uh, we look forward to embarking on that and kind of taking our niche and being more advanced in, in, that, Enviro, in that Enviro series that we're making. Um, I don't think that you can reinvent. Personally, I don't think that you can reinvent the cigar box. I love when guys do unique things. It's beautiful. And there's nothing like a classic cigar box, which is why we'll always have those as well. Yeah, that's good. That's good to hear. And like you mentioned, I think this is something that could solve that problem of getting the wood, like which is we hear this. We we were just at the trade show and, and there were a lot of packages that were, you know, delayed because of this. You know, we, we heard this over. So now this is another, this is an alternative that you guys have with that. The nightmare everywhere. You know, we just, we just got our first printer and we just got our first kitting for yep. all the impulsing and whatnot here in Granada. And I have just a couple of people that are currently working in our packing department, our packaging department, um, working on that stuff. So, so that's unique because, you know, when we can hire some additional people and then get our folding machines, we'll be making some of the stuff in house. And yeah, it does. It, it totally needs times. You're looking at crazy, crazy price increases. You know, not that we're looking just to cut corners every way, but we certainly don't like like the next guy wasting a bunch of cash. Yeah, no, I, I, exactly, exactly. Um, lightning around time, Coop. Lightning around time, yes. Okay, so uh, coffee. Yeah, we want to make sure we, we Aaron just like reminded me of time. Uh, coffee and cigars, completely new project for um for for Philly. Talk a little about that. Absolutely. We have partnered up with Fabian Ziegler, a near and dear friend. Uh, Fabian and I have come up with some proprietary ways of, of making uh, pre-rolled tobacco uh, kind of cohabitate with coffee in, in an osmosis almost process. And then what we do is we have that in environmental, an environmentally friendly tube where yep. every single cigar, we're doing our coffee roasting, we're getting those beans, the coffee is nestled in this tube, the cigars are inside of it, there's some leather. Um, in there in order to get one cigar out or the entire bundle out. Uh, it's a great, great project where we're bringing coffee, a half pound of coffee and 10 cigars together. And the whole idea of this is very Fabian-esque, right? And the, it's Fabian's a very different guy. If you don't know him, he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And uh, he's got a great ton of experience and a different eye for things. So the idea here is that we don't actually have a name for the actual product, but the first release is, is on the summer solstice. The second release is the winter, so on. This particular release by Fabian is Come Around Friends Enjoy. This is our introductory where you get a couple friends, you grind up those beans, you make a couple uh, cups of coffee there, everyone grabs a cigar. There's enough cigars waiting for you after your friends leave too, so not everyone smokes all your stuff. And then you get to see that this coffee and the cigars are like together as they share uh, in harmony this osmosis process and a relationship throughout the pilones that we make with coffee as well as the cigars and whatnot some proprietary stuff but it's pretty open we're not scared of uh we're not scared of sharing some good information with people the other idea of that too is that um we're now bringing in a lot of these coffee producers into the cigar world so we're doing you know burritos we're smoking different types of tobaccos with them and getting their palates approach on what we can do with tobacco how we can blend oh i need to do this roast this time this temperature um with this particular bean or this blend 
The first is a uh, first one coming out is a Nicaraguan single origin with a Nicaraguan puro. It has a, a, a dark Nicaraguan wrapper on it. I'd say it's about a two dot, the cigar, uh, and the coffee was blended exactly for it. So the coffee, that blend, that bean rests with the cigars, rests with the tobacco. And then when it comes time to package, we do freshly roasted coffee and we do have a best if used by date on it because you really got like a month and a half to get yeah. everything out of coffee. You got about a month and a half to, to grind up that fresh bean. So, and you mentioned osmosis. So it's a, it's a two-way osmosis that's going on here, right? The, the beans are, are getting some of the qualities from the, to, the, the, the cigars, the tobacco. And then the other way around, the, the, the cigars are absorbing some things from the beans. That's exactly right. That's exactly right, Will. And you know what's really cool about this also is that releases and starts shipping in August. And um, when that ships, also available will be the cigars without any coffee interaction, as well as half-pound bags of coffee without any tobacco interaction. Um, and when you do that taste test next to them both and you do that aroma test and you do all the things there, whether you're, you know, we do have a suggested preparation for the coffee, depending on which one. This particular is good uh, Chemex or V60, like a drip coffee. Uh, it's the easiest for everybody to do, we found. So that was a good releasing one. When you drink that coffee and you taste it, the differences are not just subtle, but they're there. And they speak to people who also don't know so much about tobacco. The idea is to bring people to and create new smokers um, who maybe don't get to interact with cigars or premium tobacco as much. Everybody's interacting with coffee. Uh, in terms of what we know, too, it's the first time that someone has packaged the both together in this particular way. So, you know, those cigars will be available without coffee osmosis interaction too and without the exchange that's going on. Uh, so it'll be fun because we, we really deeply believe and in the testing that we've done and in the market that we spent a little bit of time in, uh, people will, will see a, a, a significant difference between the two and it'll be a lot of fun. That's awesome. That's awesome. And is Fabian on board for the long term or is this a short term project? How, how is that? I know you said there's a few releases coming, but what's Fabian's role going to be as far as this goes? So right now we have four releases uh, that are firm um, from this year and next year. So we get the next two years lined up uh, well, this year and next year lined up, I should say. And uh, we're just going to see how it goes and continue on. Fabian is not a, a, a employee of or, or an investor or an owner. Of Favili, however, as Fabian has, has decided that he's ready to get back into the industry that knows and loves him so well, and vice versa, um, you know, our, our relationship kind of came up with this idea of let's do something together. And he literally saw this particular project in a dream, and I guess he chose me to tell first. And I said, Fabian, look, say no more, man. Uh, let's get something done and on the board. So we're looking and hoping this is a long-term project to answer your question. Uh, right now, we have releases. Uh, we have uh, four releases lined up. Nice. Nice. I'm, ex I'm excited about that. I think that was when I was reading about that. I'm like, this is pretty cool. Like I said, it's yeah. just not pairing the two. You guys are, are bringing the two together uh, in a way I hadn't seen before. So I think that's, I think that's real exciting. Uh, and I love coffee and I love cigars. So, I mean, it, it, for me, it was like, this is, this is awesome. So I'm excited about that. You'd be surprised or maybe not surprised at how many people say that exact thing, right? Like I love yeah. coffee and cigars. Like we all know it. So yeah, this is yeah. yeah. exactly. All right, uh, three three quick hits, and um, uh, I think you mentioned status of Liga Maestro and Casa Favilli lines. Um, are we going to see rebranding of those? Are those lines still in production and going to continue? No, those lines have been discontinued. So both were both were sold out um, last year. And okay, those, those won't be reproduced. They did what they did in the market um, with a lot of respect and a lot of <laughs> Claudio before. And they did really well. Um, and we believe it's time just to, to, to move away from those. So uh, Casa Favilla was a big hit. It had a cult following. It wasn't big, yeah. but 
we're like, oh, wow, really? It's no more. But the good thing is, is authentically, we've actually sold out of that. And uh, that was always using a proprietary test wrapper anyway. Uh, I think trying to remake that cigar, we'd be, I don't know if we'd be doing that particular right. line. The interesting, uh, interestingness of it, any justice. Um, the Maestro, we, we don't have, uh, we don't have any more either. Uh, but we do have a new brand coming out under LM. So LM is actually going to be an umbrella with a few different types of lines underneath it. Um, we have our first LMs done. We just don't actually have a release date for those yet, but it's a very, very different cigar. Okay. Okay. I mean, yeah. And I, you know, those were good cigars. And like I said, Casa Favilli had that Nicaragua. You guys brought the Nicaraguan Broadleaf like first. So, I mean, that was a big thing when it came out. I remember. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, that was a big deal. You know, a lot of people like that wrapper, difficult wrapper to work with, difficult wrapper to blend with. And of course, very difficult to grow. Um, not available now. Uh, that's a, that's another thing too. I'm sure, I'm sure it soon will be available, but yeah, you know, Costa really had a, a lot of nice, a lot of nice elements too. And as we do the rebranding also, you know, we have to remember that the name Costa Billy has kind of taken this, this titular aspect of the house when really the house yep. is called is, is actually called the house of Mario Favilli, not just necessarily Casa Favilli. So we want to harken back and really stay strong on what the actual historic landmark is called internationally too, which is Mansion de Mario Favilli. So yep. we thought that, that that name of that blend also kind of was interjecting into some, some new ways of bringing this yep. life. Okay. Coseca series. Yes. So that's going to continue on. Okay, Our great. 2016 was, was really, really quick to hit. Uh, we actually just released a small lot of some that have been aging here for some time. So we have a couple series out right now from 12, 13, 14, and 15. Um, I believe those are almost all sold out. So the next Cosetra will be in 2018. Um, we won't have uh, this coming year's release for Cosetra. It's only because that brand does deserve a lot of time, a lot of energy, and it needs to be authentically from the tobacco side. So uh, Cosecha 2018 will be there, and then hopefully in the future, we'll be able to take a Cosecha 2017 with maybe some tobaccos that we can find. And maybe in the Cosecha's uh, like 15-year anniversary, we'll be able to do some type of special release. But Cosecha will, will absolutely be continuing on. That's great news. And then the last question, um, we're smoking these factory blends. What can you tell us about those? Um, I'm enjoying this a lot. So um, what, what about these factory buns? Are these things you get down at the factory, basically? So what we do is we, we do some, you know, we're, we're very, very small production team, too. Uh, we don't even have the space, really, uh, to grow much more if we, if, if, if we needed to. So we do that in an excellent way. We maintain and, and increase the quality every step of the way. Factory Blend L, what you're smoking, is the second installment of our Factory Blend series. The first one was a C that came out in a pyramid-shaped box that looked like a volcano was the mm-hmm. idea. That was a very, very strong Connecticut that we had done. The idea is that we make about 5,000 of those cigars at a time. We age them, we rest them, we experiment with them. We try to build some blends off them as we're continually trying to increase our ability to do things with tobacco at the factory. If one sticks, then we want it to rest and sit, and then we want to release these one and done factory blends. So the idea is to go through the entire alphabet. How do we choose what letters next? It has to do something with what we are creating at that time or what that cigar may embody. So factory blend L is, is very, very unique because that was one of the first ones that we did um, in redoing that LM brand that I had announced. So actually right. what you're smoking is, uh, is um, a generation ahead of what LM would taste like when it finally does come out. And that was only in 3000 units. So uh, we've actually moved through a ton of those already. So if anyone's interested in getting that factory blend L, now's definitely the time. That's great. 
That's great. That's all Nicaraguan, by the way, too. That's all Nicaraguan. Nice. This is a very nice blend. Yeah, this is really nice. All right. On that cigar, too. So. Aaron, anything else? I know we we uh we want to be sensitive to Jared's time. Aaron. Yeah, I think I think you nailed it. Okay, hey Jared. Um, first of all, thanks so much for for coming on. Um, excited for what the future is going to hold. Um, for sure, and I, I think it's going to be very very bright for you guys. So I'm I'm excited to see this, and uh, I hope I look forward to catching up with you in person at some point. So yeah, yeah it's got to be soon. And guys, William, Aaron, just thank you guys so much. You guys are constable professionals, real gentlemen, and for you guys to ask me to be on means whole lot i just can't i can't tell you how much i'm very very thankful to, to be able to bring some of this forward yeah i, I think this is really great. appreciate it we really appreciate it like i said i think folks have a lot i think you guys it's just the beginning of what you're doing so uh keep it up is what i'm going to tell you yep. oh, i love to hear it thank you sir i mean that's what we need to know so <laughs> yeah exactly i think uh, this is great news so look forward look forward to down the road my friend excellent well you guys take care you have a wonderful evening thank you guys again thank you for everybody who's watching you guys are amazing and uh and we'll all cross paths one of these beautiful days. Sounds good. Sounds Have good. Night. Thank you. Thank you, Jared. That's Jared McKelly of um, Mombotic Favilli Cigars. Uh, <laughs> I almost really blew that um, on, on the primetime show. Take care, Jared. All right. All right. So we'll do a word from our sponsors. Then we have some, some more segments to get into here. So uh, let me mention uh, Tailored Smoke, which I believe is going to be getting these cigars in soon uh located in the heart of downtown charlotte's epicenter and outside the charlotte motor speedway in concord north carolina tailored smoke is your one-stop shop for a tailored smoking experience and by jerry tobacco the authentic corojo leaf is one of the most robust and flavorful tobacco leaves out there during the golden age of cigars of it was a leaf of choice to make some of the world's greatest cigars because it's one of the most challenging ones to cultivate it fell out of favor by the 1990s in the Hamastron Valley in Honduras, Julio Aroa took on the challenge of growing Corojo from the original seeds, and in 2000, he successfully reintroduced authentic Corojo back to the market. With over 50 years' experience in the tobacco business, from growing and curing tobacco to cigar production, the JRE Tobacco Farm has uh, continued to be able to deliver products to market with authentic Corojo. Now with JRE Tobacco, Julio and his son Justo bring their very own brand to market, each containing the authentic Coro leaf. Aladino is a brand that represents that golden age of cigars from 1947 to 1961. Now available at your local retailer, be sure to ask for Jerry Tobacco, a legacy that is tasted in every drawer. And by Corona Cigar Company. At Corona Cigar Company, we take pride in the fact that we are cigar fanatics just like you. That's why you'll find the best selection of the rarest and finest premium cigars available anywhere in the world. Plus, they have special limited edition cigars available exclusively to Corona Cigar Company from famous international cigar makers like Padron, Avo, LFD, Drew Estate, Perdomo, Gurkha, and Oliva. They have the best selection, the best customer service, and money-saving discount uh, cigar prices. But don't just take their word for it. Forbes magazine selected Corona Cigar Company as best of the web. Corona Cigar was voted a top five internet cigar retail by Smoke Magazine. Cigar aficionado wrote, Corona Cigar Company, the largest, best stock cigar shops in America. Place an order online at Corona Cigar Company's website or visit one of Corona's four central Florida cigar superstores and cigar bars and see for yourself why Corona Cigar Company is the ultimate cigar experience. And um, I, uh, I actually disconnected Aaron by accident. <laughs> so I got to add him back in here. So I'm going to do that 
uh, as we are talking here. Um, but um, we will do that. Um, just uh, bear bear with me a second as we do that. But um, want to again thank Jared for being on the show. And uh, as I disconnected Aaron, um, I don't know how that happened. Um, let's see what happened. I, I disconnected Aaron, which was which was weird. Let's see if we can get him back in. It won't let him back in. That's weird. I disconnected Aaron completely from the show. So we'll give him a, a second to get back in here on uh, the the uh, the primetime show. Um, and um, let's see what's happening here. It, it is not letting him back in. I have to maybe add him completely into the, the panel here. So uh, I am going to do that. Um, what as we talk and and see what happens there. Always, always, uh, you know, the technical issues I think will always fall on me. Um, so I have to add him back in here. Uh, apologies to Aaron, boy, this is a, a weird thing. I actually, what I did is I booted him literally from from the, the show. Um, so let me do that right now. Aaron knows more about this stuff than I do. Um, so let me do that. Um, and, uh, this is, this is fun stuff here when, when this happens live on the air. Um, so Aaron, bear with me. Uh, I will get you back into the show here on, on the primetime show here. Fun stuff here for sure. I've never done that before. All right. I have to give him another, I, 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 when I, ban I, I think I banned him. I don't think it was, uh. Uh, I don't think it was um, a, uh, this is funny. <laughs> uh, let's see. All right, Aaron. I actually, what I usually do is I try to just cleanly disconnect the guest. Um, all right. Aaron, you should hopefully be in, you should have that invitation now to get back in there. So let's see what happens if I got Aaron back in or not. I never did that before. As we bear here on, on the primetime show, uh, nothing uh, like having technical problems uh, and not having a producer. So <laughs> thanks everyone for your patience there. And hopefully uh, Aaron will be back in momentarily um, to the show. I, Cause I need Aaron actually for the rest of this show. So uh, it should be, uh, it should be coming. Oh man, this is not good. It was, he was still joined uh, because he was still removed uh, as we do that. How did hell? Yeah, let me try again. This is not fun uh, here. So we are uh, having technical problems here on the primetime show. Uh,
Yo. Yo, how did you get back in? So I went through my phone, so I don't know if it's keying off of my machine so that you can't, I can't come back in. So. Okay. Uh, are you okay on your phone or do you want me to restart a, a new session? Uh, your call. Um, I'm okay with you on that if you're okay on it. I'm fine with it. Okay, good. So apologies. I don't, I usually try to always cleanly remove the guest. Right. Um, I must have removed you, <laughs> but no I never had that happen before. We'll see if this will work. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good. So, um, so welcome back. Thanks uh, for your patience, Aaron. Um, so um, I was hoping to keep Jared on. We, we, we didn't have longer for um, the Alec Bradley Live True segment. And I always want to mention it is sponsored by uh, Alec Bradley Cigars. Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley, Alec Bradley. Visit alecbradley.com to find out more about their cigars. Live True. Um, so we didn't do any baseball talk. And um, I figured let's do a, a, a quick check of baseball right now. Um, as far as some things go, but by the way, the, the Phillies did win tonight. Nice. So, uh, the Phillies did win. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty happy, but I want to just take a little stock on, um, where things are, um, in baseball right now. Um, and just kind of just take a quick pulse and get, get a few things. And I, I just hit some five five uh, I guess sort of rapid fire questions, but, um, let's just start off with, um, who is your biggest surprise team this year? Uh, maybe the surprise team for me is the the Orioles. Um, you know they weren't really supposed to be any good this year, but they're uh, they're above 500 at the moment, um, so that's a surprise. Um, everybody in the division is 500 or over, um, so they're I mean they're in they're in striking distance for second place in the division. Absolutely, that's interesting. Absolutely, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Um. I guess my surprise team is the Yankees. Hmm. Um, if you ask me if the Yankees would be playing, um, winning two thirds of their games going into the hundredth game with an 11 and a half uh, game lead in that division, uh, playing the way they're playing. Um, I didn't even have them making the playoffs this year. So, um, they are well in hand of going to the playoffs. So I, I, I am really surprised by, by that team uh, for sure. Um, I don't think there's anything that's, I don't think any of these teams are going to strike them and, and catch. I don't think they're going to blow this 11 and a half game lead at this point. Yeah, it's tough, you know, cause they, you know, they're playing, they're playing the Royals tonight and they were struggling with them for uh, at least through the first seven innings or whatever. Um, yeah. So. Uh, as long as they can, you know, beat the teams that they're supposed to beat. Um, but these guys are going to play a lot, of, lot within the division still the rest of the season. So um, we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I think another team that uh, just a couple of other ones that I had on my list were, were the Cleveland Guardians uh, who are within striking the distance of winning that division. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, they're two games out uh, going into tonight. Um, so I would have them, them on there. Um, you know, uh, I think, you know, the other one I'll just say is, you know, the Diamondbacks, I think we all thought were going to be improved. So it's not really a surprise there that right. uh, for sure. So, all right, let's turn to disappointing teams. Uh, who is your most disappointing team with like at this 100 game mark at this point or right around the 100 game mark? Um, I, I'm not going to say I'm really disappointed in the in the performance, but I think a lot of people are. And that's the Giants. Um, I think based on what they did last year, um, 
more was expected of them this year. And they're really, they're really struggling, but I thought that they, you know, played way over their head last year. So this seems to be kind of maybe where that team should have been. So, um, you know, after losing Posey, um, it's, it's a big deal to that team. Um, so I, I feel like that they're kind of where they they should be, but it's disappointing after their performance from last year. I can't say I'm surprised. I mean, <laughs> I can't, um, did I think they'd be better? Yeah. I mean, I didn't think I, I, I thought they were going to win about 84 to 86 games this year. Um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. I saw this collapse happen in 2008. It's very similar to the 2018 collapse the, for the Phillies that Kapler had. The difference is, and I think Rob nailed it, this team got old fast. Yeah. It, like, they had this surge of use last year, but they got, they got old fast. They, they really did. Um, I, I guess my my disappointing team, I mean, I thought they were going to be a playoff team, and, and I had them ahead of the Yankees, so go figure this. It was the Detroit Tigers. I, I thought they were going to be – I mean, they may finish behind the Royals at this point. Um, yeah. they, could finish, they could finish with the worst record in, in the league. Uh, I just didn't see that one coming as well. Yeah, I mean, they have some very young pitching. I think it's going to be very good in the future. Um, the offense is – not that great. Um, they are all, you know, they have Miguel Cabrera who's yeah, he's at the end. Um, they, they just don't have any great offensive talents. I don't think on that team, um, uh, a couple of young guys, but no, nobody that you, I think you build a team around their, their strength is definitely on the pitching side. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. But I, like I said, I, I thought, you know, they played well in the second half last year. I thought they were an up and coming team, but they're, they're, uh, they're going to be battling for the basement at this point. And um, so I think that's, that's going to be interesting as well. I mean, the white Sox, I'm not surprised where they are. I mean, I really am not. I, right. I, I think a lot of people were, were way overvaluing that team. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, I think Tony LaRusso could be done after this year. Yeah. yeah so, I mean, that, that's an, but they definitely took a step back this year for sure. Yeah. Um, so so, yeah, those were kind of like my disappointments right now. I mean, I would have said Seattle uh, about a, about four weeks ago, but they, they seem to turn it on and, you know, they're, they're in the playoff hunt for sure right now. Yeah. So, so. <clears throat> all right. There have been three managers fired. Um, Toronto fired their manager, Char- Charlie Matoya. Uh, Joe Girardi gets fired from the Phillies and Joe Madden gets fired from the Angels. Which was the most shocking fire of the three? The Blue Jays by far. Totally, I mean, the team is the team is team is stocks with right. talent. Right, um, they weren't. It wasn't like they were in a free fall. Um, as long as I'm remembering of the time frame of when this occurred, um, but I, I I have this feeling that they just think that they're in a really good position, and they they didn't want to take any chances, and they wanted to try to create a spark or do something um, when they could. But it, it was a, it was a shock to me that that happened. You usually don't see that from a team in that position. No. Um, I mean, I think someone brought up in our chat, the Phillies did something similar when they fired Pat Corrales mm-hmm. in 83. And they were in first place with about a similar record, like where they were, but they were in first. Um, but most of us in Philadelphia, so Corrales was an awful manager, believe it or not. And they should have been playing better. And then they, they end up bringing back Paul Owens, who gets them to the World Series that year. But that was an older team as well. I think a lot of people did think that um, did Montoya was doing a good – I don't think anyone saw that one happening. Um, I was with 
I was with Mitchell Sand um, at uh, in Fuego when that happened. I was actually, you know, and he's a Canadian guy. He he was yeah. kind of we were all kind of just shocked. We're looking at the screen like they just fired their manager there that night. <laughs> right. Yeah. So uh, it was, they were forty six and forty two, and they did it. So they've gotten. A, I think they got a little bit of a spark. Um, you know, since then, uh, because they've they've been. I think. Uh, I want to say eight, they've been eight, two. Yeah, 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 ten games. So they got you know, a little bit of a spark. I'll uh, um, Rob Thompson. Um, mm-hmm. I don't look. I, I Girardi didn't have the record. Uh, they were in. A, they were really at a cross they, around that 50, 60 game mark. They they had to make a move. Uh, the, that wasn't a surprise. Madden was still a surprise for me. I'll be honest with you. I was still surprised about Madden. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm. I'm surprised they did it, but I'm not surprised based on the organization's track record. Yeah. Um, yeah. They don't, they don't make the right decisions most of the time. Um, I don't think Madden was doing poorly with the, the team he had. Um, they just don't, they don't really have good pitching. Um, you know, they got a couple stars and they got a couple of scrubs that kind of play are playing above their head, but I, I, I can't see that he was underachieving with that with what he had in talent wise. No, I don't either. I mean, I think he'll be back next year. I think I he'll think be, so. I would think he'll be back next year um, somewhere. So it will be, maybe he'll sit a year out. I could also see that. I could see maybe sitting a year out waiting for the right, right position. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the only other manager I'd say is really on the hot seat uh, to finish the season, probably La Russa at this point. Yeah. Um, so, but I don't see Madden coming in there mid season to mop it up. He, if, it's going to be next year or the year after he'll be back when he comes back. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, I have this called sellers of buyers at the, the trade deadlines coming up. It's a little later this year. They moved it out a week, I guess, because of the, the late start. Yeah. Late start. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we'll start off with the San Francisco giants. Are they going to try to make a move? I mean, you know, they were talking they, Soto they a week ago. They should sell as much as they can sell. Right. I mean, get Jock Peterson, Rodon, get rid of whatever you can. If you can get if you can get someone to take Joey Bart for some good for something <laughs> good, do it. Like just sell whatever you can sell at this yeah. time, and then just uh, you know, get some prospects or something for a couple of years down the road, and then with all the money you got, just attack the free agent yeah. market. I think yeah. it's off season. Yeah, and, and Farhan, you can sell the manager too. I'm not. I'm not saying you. Know. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> But yeah, I agree with you on that one. Um, here's an interesting one: the Marlins. Mm. The, Mar- the Marlins kind of aren't out of this thing yet. Yeah, it's tough because the you know again talking about track records of franchises, you know they do like to sell when they've got talent, but they've got a lot of good young pitching. They don't have anything really great on the offense. Uh, Chisholm's hurt, but like he's not a world beater. But yeah. Um, if I were them, I would just stand pat. You don't need to sell. You don't need to buy. I mean, if, if the team can do make a move on its own, fine. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't get rid of anything to try to build that. And I wouldn't. I wouldn't get rid of anybody to try to build for later on. I think you've got a good core on the pitching staff. Um, I would just stand pat. I, I I agree with you on that. You're only five games out of the wild card. Same with San Francisco. But I think it's a different. I think. You know, I don't think the Marlins are at it. So I, I agree with you on that one for sure. Um, as far as that goes. How about the White Sox? Um, I mean, I would I would be a buyer if I was the White Sox. Um, you're in striking distance in first place of the division. So, you know, if you need to make a move to fill a hole or something like that, I would say do it. Um, 
Lance Lynn just hasn't been, hasn't really done anything except for his last start since he's coming back from the in- injury. But mm-hmm. um, if he can right the ship, that's a big help on the pitching side of things. Um, the offense is super young, super talented. Um, so, I mean, if you could, if you need to go out and get a piece, get a piece, but, um, yeah, I think they should be still, you know, trying to win that division. I agree. And you do, you do need to win that division. Uh, there's not, I wouldn't play the wild, the wild card, card game. They're, yeah. Yeah. They're actually, I want to say they're actually, I'm just looking at the standard. I think the wild, they're, they're the same distance from the wild card as the, uh, as the division or pretty close. Um, yeah, cause Tampa's got the last of the, of the spots right now. I want to say, yeah. yeah. so yeah, it's about, about similar Cleveland guardians. Same, same exact same, same scenario. Thing. Exact same um, scenario. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they've got some good pitching. Um, so maybe if you need a bat or something to bring it in, um, you know, you, maybe you get Jock Peterson from the giants or, you know, some, something like that. Just if you need yeah. a bat to help you get over the top. Um, but yeah, I, I would be in this, I would, I would put the guardians and the white Sox in the exact same boat. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think this one's very, probably in the same boat too, but it, it still is an interesting one for me is the Phillies. Um, because, you know, one thing that the Phillies have to be really cognizant of, they're, they're still really trying to rebuild that farm system, but I don't think you yeah, can sell this so team I mean, off at this point. Yeah. Uh, with Harper out, it's tough, you know, um, yeah, I mean, you're still close enough for a wild card spot that you could push, but I wouldn't be, I would not be in a really position to sell. I don't think. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they did make some, you know, bad contract moves and stuff like that. Um, they did, they did. Yeah, but, they're gonna pay for that. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, but you know, if you ask me, this team would be fifty-two and forty-seven without Harper, Eflin, and Suarez. Um, I, I just like, you know, I, I'm amazed, and they're playing competitively uh you know they had they had a bad series out of the all-star break uh getting swept by the cubs by the way it was the first time the cubs swept anyone this year (laughs) so i i kind of came at us i'm like here we go again right but then they they had a good series against the braves and and they're you know obviously they're taking care of business with the pirates tonight so i mean that was uh that was good news yeah where does soto land man It's tough. You know, you're, you're thinking it's going to be a big team that's got lots of money and lots yeah. of pieces because you're going to, uh, I mean, somebody could obviously trade for them as a, you know, as a rental if yeah. they wanted to. Right. But um, so if somebody wanted to just push for the playoffs, but that, you, you're probably giving up a lot to do that. Um, you know, but you think the landing spot would be the, you know, Dodgers, Yankees, Mets, um, kind of that's that scenario. Yeah. Uh, but you also, you know, Houston Astros have a lot of talent on that team. And if they yep. wanted to deal a couple of those guys over there, they, and they, they, you know, they said, all right, we want to sign Soto long-term and you know, that's the contingency. I can see the Astros having the pieces to make that move. Um, Agree. Agree. Uh, I think the White Sox are a long shot with this one. I don't think he's going there. Um, but no, I don't, uh, I, I mean, I really watch the Yankees right now. My, my, my gut's telling me if, if Hal Steinbrenner is looking at this as a move, he's, he's a much more hands-off owner. Um, they're going to try, but I think Washington's asking a King's ransom. It looks like, and I yeah. think that may be the delay here. Yeah. I don't see them trading him to the Mets. I just don't. Um, so yeah, I think, I think it, the Mets are in a tough spot with dollars. So that might be tough for them. I think they are too. I too. Um, 
last question. Um, will we have a subway series in 2022? Uh, I'm going to say no. Um, you know, uh, you know, the Mets are doing well. Um, you know, for Hector, I'd like to see them go as far as they can. Um, but they're, you know, they're still in a tough fight with the Braves. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I'm still okay with my, my preseason picks for the series. I think that was the Dodgers and the, and the Blue Jays. Um, I think the Blue Jays can still pull it off in the AL. So even though they're, you know, behind the Yankees by a dozen games, um, you know, it's a tough squad, you know, anytime you go into Toronto, um, you're playing shorthanded because any of you guys that are not, uh, you know, vaccinated aren't playing. Yep. And, uh, so they, they, they've got a little bit of a home field advantage there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it's interesting. I picked the brewers in the NL. Um, they have kind of stumbled and fumbled from time to time here. Um, they just, St. Louis just is not going away f- at all. Um, uh, and I'm kind of concerned like, cause you know, St. Louis is battling us for the final spot. And if St. Louis catches them, then we're going to be going head to head with the Brewers. Um, we're not locked for the playoffs of Phillies by any means yet. So, uh, we have key guys out. I don't even think if they trade for Syndergaard, it's going to be enough. To, so, right. But yeah. I, I think the Mets and the, I think the Yankees are going to have to go through Houston and, and that's going to be a much tougher out than I think a lot of us thought. Yeah. Um, and I think the, the Mets have to go through several teams. I mean, uh, the Braves, the Dodgers, maybe the pot. I mean, the Padres could be a, a thorn as well. So um, I think the Mets have a much, the NL is going to be a much tougher road for the World Series. I think the AL is, a, it would be surprising if it's not Yankees in, in Houston in the ALCS. Yeah. Yep. All right. So uh, anything else baseball-wise we want to mention here? Uh, Reds and Mets made a trade this evening. So, oh, I didn't hear that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tyler Nequin and Philip Deal um, went over to the Mets. And um, I'm not – oh, um, the Reds got Jose Acuna and Hector Rodriguez for uh, in the minor league here. So. Interesting. Uh, yeah. Interesting. So uh, that's an interesting move. Um, I have a good – we'll have to get Miguel's thoughts on that one. You know, the Reds, I still think the Reds finished third. So we'll see what happens. Right. Every time they get close, though, the, the Pirates or the, or the Cubs kind of uh, take through there. So, so we'll, we'll see how that goes as well. Um, and then I'll ask you, I mean, what do you think about this whole news with uh, Trout? Uh, I'm concerned. Um, yeah. You know, anytime you, that you hear like a, you know, unique disease and, uh, you know, a back for a hitter is – not Dad. good news. Um, he's, uh, he's, I don't, I, I'm not going to say he's been injury prone because I think some of the injuries he's had have been yeah. pretty freak things. Um, but yeah, this is not something you want to hear from a guy like that. Um, it's, you know, so far what we've heard is, you know, he's just going to have to kind of manage it. So whether that stays off or, you know, what he's going to have to do to be able to do it. I don't think until further time we'll, we'll be able to see like how debilitating it is. So, um, I'm concerned just because of, you know, them saying it's not, it's not a common thing. Um, yeah. But, um, I hope the best for him, but uh, you know, I kind of expect something that's not that great. No, I'm not either. And you know, the, the thing that's really disappointing when you hear something like this, what was said is, you know, he's a historic, he's a player of our generation. Right. 
And you don't want to see him go down because of that at all. And you don't want to see him go down it for any reason, but for something like this, it's a, it's a strange, it were, it does worry me too. Cause it's, it's not something we've heard of. I don't think there's a precedent for this before in baseball. The only thing I would say is maybe Garrick, right? Garrick. So, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know that this is that bad. I don't know if this is like, you know, career like, ending within a year kind of a thing, but yeah. it's potential for that. So we'll, I think, I think we'll just have to see how it, how it shakes out. Yeah. But. Yeah, that's the only thing I w- I could liken it to possibly. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, I mean, the most important thing is you, you want the guy to live a normal life. Um, you know, that's that's the thing I would say. Um, with Gehrig, obviously, it didn't. I mean, the other one that I remember a lot is J.R. Richard, uh, with the stroke, mm-hmm. which was just uh, you know, and he was never the same after that. So, right. you know, and he struggled in his life after that a lot. So, you the most important we just want Trout to have a good life. With, I think with his family and stuff. You don't, and you really, I want to see this guy play another ten years. I want to see him get some records and stuff. So, yep. Yep. um, yeah, I hope so too. Um. You know, but hopefully he uh, the best is made for him on that. All right. Um, let's turn to uh Soprano segment here. Um, and I went back this week um and uh went back to some of that Sopranos trivia that we've been doing from IMDB. Um, but I guess we lost uh, you know, there was another um, you know, gangster type character passes this week. Yep. Um, you know, the guy who played uh Paulie Cicero uh, from Goodfellas. Um, right. Paul Sorvino. Paul Sorvino, yeah. That was a, yeah. That was a, that was a surprise. Uh, well, I, well, he was older than I thought he was, actually. So Yeah, I mean, he was, he was old in Goodfellas, right? I mean, not old, yeah. but he was an yeah. older guy. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, the Cicero brothers, I guess, are now, uh, you know, they're having a – they're living it up together. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's a lot of people talked. It's been a rough year for uh, the gangster characters for sure this year. Yeah, yeah. We talked about um, Paulie last week, but we'll get back to the Sopranos. Um, and there was a couple of interesting. There was a few interesting ones I put in this week. And again, what we do is we just read them and we comment on them to see if there's anything you know that sticks with us. And this first one I didn't know about at all, and I have been to the Bada Bank. Right. Um, I'm going to be honest. I was with, I was at the bottom bank several times, uh, when I lived in New Jersey, um, um, more for, it was like getting a late afternoon drink is what I'll say. But you know, some of the other people I went, they'll partake in a little more, uh, sure. place is called satin dolls. It's located, uh, on route 17 in New Jersey. Um, but the, in there, there's a large mugshot on the wall of the Bada Bing office, and it's of a 23-year-old Frank Sinatra. And I guess in 1938, around that time, Sinatra was arrested and charged with uh, seduction of a married woman. <laughs> so I didn't know any of that. I didn't even remember the picture, to be honest with you, uh, until I heard that. Yeah, I think I remember seeing it. Yeah. So. Yep. So, yeah, but I have to now go back because I didn't know if you remembered the picture. I just it's, I'm drawing a complete blank on that one. Uh, yeah. All right. Um, Jamie Lynn Sigler, uh, who my daughter has been mistaken for, by the way. Hmm. Um, I, I'm being honest, like more so when she was about like 16 or 17, to be honest with you, because if you looked at their right. profiles, it was at that time it was similar. Now, I don't think you'd see any resemblance. Right. But she has been mistaken for her. Um, when she was called in to audition for Meadow Soprano, she knew nothing about the premise of the show from the title. She thought it would be about opera singers. Yeah. I would. Yeah. I think they, I remember there was something about the naming of the show. They went through a few iterations and settled on the Sopranos. Right. right. Yeah. 
but I, I wouldn't have, yeah, again, I didn't know about what this show was until someone told me it was about that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This next one I thought of you about. Uh, because this is one of your characters. Yeah. In season five, there was a story about Feech Lamana concerning his killing of a New Jersey longshoreman for refusing to give up his favorite seat in a bar. The story was based on a true life incident involving Philadelphia Atlantic City crime boss Nicodemo Scarfo, aka Little Nicky. Um, did not know that one. Uh, I know, I know the yeah. story. I remember the story. In, in the I show. don't remember that story in the in the show. So. It was one of those stories he was telling when he was hanging around. I don't know if it was at the poker game or something like okay. that, but okay. I do remember that story. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's talking about how he basically yeah, whacked this guy, you know, right. uh, but, but yeah, I do remember that one. All right. Dr. Melfi was named after David Chase's grandmother, Teresa Melfi did not know that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I did not know, but David Chase tends to do a little things like that. Uh-huh. All right. In the second season, the <laughs> word fuck was said 715 times. And the leaders of this uh, word were Tony at 264, Sil at 34, Paulie at 31. Actually, it's not in order. Christopher was second with six, uh, 68, Carmela nine, and others 309. They didn't have Richie in there. I was wondering how many times he said it. Um, right. But yeah, Tony, uh, by far, uh, leader of F-bombs that year. Yeah. Paulie was low that year. Paulie, I, I, I would want to fact check this. I'm going by what's <laughs> in there, right? Yeah. I mean, I, it's appropriate. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that word was used that many times. Um, yeah. And it works, you know. I'm sure it was never used in an erroneous time frame. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I know, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, for sure. Uh, the next one I kind of just talked about already. Uh, the Bada Bing is actually a go-go bar in Lodi, New Jersey on Route 17 called Satin Dolls. Now, I know I've, that place, like I said, it's been there for a long time, but I did not know it used to be a, a nightclub called Terrors, and I did not be- know before that it was even a diner, the Hearst 17. So I did not know that it was Satin Dolls for as long as I can remember is what I'm going to say. So I don't know when those changes occurred. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't. You know better than I would. Yep, yep. Uh, the only cast members, and I guess they're going major cast members, with no Italian heritage, are Jamie Lee Sigler, Robert Egler, David Proval, who's um, Richie, Nancy Marchand, and Jerry Adler, who was Hesh. Um, although Hesh was not, he was the Jewish character. Right. Yeah. yeah. Was, I, I couldn't, were there any others that you could think of that weren't? weren't um didn't have italian heritage i was actually trying to think about if there was someone else who was like a significant character i wouldn't think so i think everybody was pretty much italian yeah um i, I started going down it and I, I couldn't think of another one um you know Artie, obviously john bentamino right. yeah. um you know um obviously furio yeah. you know uh, so yeah i couldn't think of if there's another one that someone could think of let me know but I couldn't think of any other, at least from a major character. Um, uh, the guy who played Eugene Pontecorvo, I wasn't sure of if he was Italian or not. So I didn't know that one, but that was the other one. All right, I like this one. Michael Imperioli, who played Christopher Moltisanti, was not good at driving. 
So during the pilot episode shooting, he had no driver's license at the time. He didn't tell the production team and he shot all the driving scenes himself. You could tell when they were trying to track down that doctor. Oh, yeah. Tony had to get him out of the car so that he could drive and, and run him oh, over. Hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I didn't catch that. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. That's a good catch. Good catch there. All right. We got two more. Um, the increasingly long gap between seasons three, four, five, and six was due to the fact that series creator David uh, Chase requested more time to prep their production. It was a suggestion made to him by Stephen Van Nans during the season three rap party. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, I mean that's a, probably a good call too. You don't want to you don't want to rush this right. uh, story and make the seasons like dwindle. Yeah, I want to say there was a big gap between five and six, and then six was a two part season. But that seemed like a yeah. long gap from what I I want to say that one went over a year. Um, and that, that I think that with TV shows, um, it kind of set the standard for doing that. Like it used to be, you know, you'd record every year or, or you know, you, a series of episodes. And yeah, you know, now you see that a lot more common. Um, I mean, for example, the show Succession is very much on a schedule like that. Yeah, I think um, part of it being cable plays a big role in that. Yeah. Um, I think if you were on network TV, you need to keep the cadence. So they're, I think they're a little bit more rushed, but when you're, yeah. when you're on cable, you have a little more flexibility. Yep. Right. I agree. Uh, now this last one, actually, now I have a question on it. It says Anthony and Paulie have near identical tiger tattoos on the upper arms. Are they talking Anthony Jr. Or are they talking Tony? I'm assuming they'd be saying Tony. Yeah, that's and, what I assume too. And I'm curious, is this the, in real life or is this the character? Yeah. If they actually had it on it, I don't know. Yeah. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that one. Um, I mean, I remember Paulie's tattoo is the one, but I can't remember. I thought Tony had a tiger tattoo, now that I'm thinking about it, or some sort of a tattoo on the upper arm. Right. Yeah. I don't remember, like, Anthony Jr. tattoo scenes. That's why I, I think it's right. Tony. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's our Sopranos segment for this week. All right. So – uh break and then we'll get into our final section here are you okay uh, on battery or whatever right now yeah it should be good okay good so i think we'll, we'll have no problem right now um so i want to mention uh first i want to mention uh agonorsa leaf uh, definitely check out their youtube channel um they have a lot of stuff that they were showing at the show uh cigar coop will have the pca coverage coming up um probably the week after next on agonorsa leaf we're, we're starting we just finished our day one, going through the day one videos, and we, that's a day three video. So stay tuned for that. Uh, but you can go to our YouTube channel right now, and you can see the video that they shot. Uh, you go to Agonor Salif in the YouTube channel. There'll be a link on Cigar Coop for that as well. Um, I want to mention uh, J.C. Newman Cigar Company, founded in 1895 by Julius Caesar Newman. J.C. Newman Cigar Company is the oldest family own premium cigar maker in America for four generations and 127 years. JC Newman has been handcrafting many of the world's finest cigars. JC Newman is headquartered in an iconic 112 year old cigar factory in the Ybor city national historic landmark district in Tampa, Florida at the factory known as El Hole, JC Newman was premium cigars by hand and hand operated antique cigar machines. The JC Newman Pensa factory is the second largest in Nicaragua. It's where Brickhouse, Pearl de Mar, El Baton, Quorum, and Yagua cigars are hand-rolled. 
Jay Suman's Diamond Crown, Maximus, Julius Caesar, and Black Diamond Cigars are handmade by tobacco artist A. Fuente in the Dominican Republic. With its longtime partners, the Arturo Fuente family, the Newmans founded the Cigar Family Charitable Foundation, which supports low-income families in the Dominican Republic with education, healthcare, vocational training, and clean water. Visit jcnewman.com to learn more. And by Casa Cuevas Cigars. The Cuevas family has five generations of experience in cigar making. For many years, they have manufactured cigars for many industry leaders out of their Las Lapas factory in the Dominican Republic. Now, the Cuevas family has brought their very own brand to market with Casa Cuevas cigars. Try the Casa Cuevas Connecticut, Abano, and Maduro lines, as well as the La Mandaria and Patrimonio lines, and of course, the Cuevas Reserva line. If they don't carry it, be sure to ask your local retailer for Casa Cuevas cigars. Casa Cuevas cigars, from our casa to yours. And we're going to get into our uh, our deliberation segment and the industry talk deliberation segment is always sponsored by Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. There is no deliberation when it comes to Dumbarton's track record since launching in 2015. This has included seven consecutive top three appearances on the Half-Wheel Consensus, including landing number one cigar of the year in 2020 with the Mikarita Tricky Tracker. You can visit DTT Cigars to find a purveyor that carries the brands of Dumbarton Tobacco and Trust. Aaron, I want to pull an audible question, if you don't mind, before we kind of get into the topic, which is going to be on uh, imports, which we really haven't talked sure. much about. Yeah, sure. So, I, you know, I, I cover, we both cover a lot of news, right? Yeah. This, this like month, I have seen like a, a significant amount of, of shop exclusive cigars released in July. Um, mm -hmm. Probably the most I've seen this year in the month. My question to you is, why are all, why would you release this? Uh, does it make any sense releasing a shop exclusive cigar during like the months where the retailers are receiving tons of new products and manufacturers who are making this stuff have to promote their own products? Yeah, um, I can see that for face value, but as we know, some of those releases don't actually come out in the, the month they're announced. Right. Um, so they may be delayed. And, you know, uh, shop exclusive is something that, um, you know, depending on how the shop planned it out based on the quantity, if they already think they have the audience, it's, it may just be a quick sell. And it may be a way to get quick dollars into the shop after they just spend a bunch of money at the trade show. Um, so I don't know if that plays into it, the, the retailer side of things um, as well. Or maybe some brands reach out and say, hey, I've got some inventory that I, you know, a blend that didn't work out for something or somebody else or whatever it is. And they want to get it off their books as well. Yeah. Um, you know, so for example, like Abe just last week released Pope of Greenwich Village. Right. I don't think it matters for Abe. Right. I mean, he's massive. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't I don't think he cares. And he's also pretty careful about new brands he brings in. So I don't think it affects him on that. Right. Um. Another one that I'll, I'll say I'll give a pass to, right? Um, Rockefeller Cigars did a, a, uh, a birthday cigar for Harry's Havana Hut for the guy Harry's 50th birthday. His 50th birthday was in July. I kind of understand that one. Yeah. Um, the other ones I'm just kind of scratching my head on. I'm like, you probably could time these things just better, in my opinion. Um, you know, you know I, just, I just think they kind of get lost this month. Yeah, um, but like uh, the ones for the cigar clubs, um, I don't think that really affects them either. Um, you know, they need they need products regardless of the time frame, so a cigar club can get away with it as well. Yeah, um, but uh, yeah, I, 
I don't know, like the protocol ones, you know, they usually sell through pretty quickly from the, the retailers that they team up with and things like that. So um, it's probably just something that we may not have some visibility to not, you know, not even retailers to really get some insight on that. But um, you know, you'd be able to tell if you, you know, there's a retailer that's, um, you know, ends up with extra stock of something that they thought they'd sell out quickly of. And then you can see if there's a kind of a remnant of, of what you're thinking of. You know, yeah. Other too many other releases at the same time. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. The protocol one. Here's what I thought was interesting on two points. I can understand them coming out with this one when they are, which they announced the law too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for the Slur's seventh anniversary, right? right. So I, I kind of understand that they have a relationship with that store. They did the previous first edition of the law, so I, I understand that. Um, I was a little shocked. Like, well, why didn't they show that one at the trade show? Because they were showing off F Train which is another store exclusive. Right, right, right. So that one kind of puzzled me a bit um, why they did that. You know, they had, they certainly would have had a lot of exposure for that uh, at the trade show. So yeah. that one surprised me a little. Maybe the store didn't want it like that. I don't know. But that right. one was one that surprised me. But yeah, I, I got guess- another one out is the uh, Dunbar Tobacco Dress Barba Amaria. Um, that was for Small Batch. Right. And um, I happened to be sitting down with Steve at the trade show when they stopped by. And they were asking, like, can we do another run? And it was just like the weekend that it was releasing. Right. And, uh, Steve was like, well, let's just kind of see how this one does. But like, it was, it's already sold out. They're ready to go for another batch if they wanted to do it. So, uh, you know, certain retailers can, you know, fly through that stuff and, and move on to the next one pretty quickly. All right. Yeah. And Steve's also a, a, a different animal, too, because his stuff does sell. You know, I tried the, I had the U-boat, right? Someone had given me a U-boat and it was really good. Mm-hmm. So I tried to buy a box of them and I couldn't get it. I mean, yeah. it was just, you know, I'm not that fast getting that, but I did it the same day and it was sold out. Yeah. So, um, but actually, I think that U-boat was actually it was one of my was one of the ones i guess if you count that as like an offshoot of moester to saka uh i thought it was very good cigar actually so yeah um i was i was very surprised about that one so i you know i i I snoozed i lost i guess you know on that one yeah 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 Yeah. so um you know so yeah again that was kind of interesting too saka took one of uh obviously the uh the bewitched was the one he did for al shop that he just basically brought in so yeah. Uh, yeah. I think Steve's, I think Steve, it doesn't matter. Um, and then small batch has a small batch has kind of a, a cult audience, I guess too. Right. Yeah. Because, um, they, um, you know, they just, they kind of just do their thing. I, I don't want to say they're, they're, they're not like a club per se, like provider or luxury, but they have the, like, I know Nielsen is big on small batch and he gets all the exclusives that come out of that. Yeah. And so, yeah, so so I think they have that type of following. So I think they can get away with that. But I, thought it was, I, I just thought it was kind of interesting here um, with yeah. that. I was just, I was, it was an observation I had, you know, and, and I know people say, well, I'm shitting on stop exclusives and limited, but I just thought it was interesting. I didn't know if it was a, uh, it was a uh, thing. All right. Um, I wanted to talk about import numbers, Aaron. Um, and we haven't really, you and I, I don't think I've had a discussion on these before. Um, I actually was just, for the first time really paying attention to that this week, um, which I haven't done much of in the past. I just kind of looked at these and um, I wanted to just kind of go through a few things. Um, and I put some, I'll, I'll put these up on the screen. I put them in the notes. Um, and I just want to kind of get some observations from you 
on on what you think as far as you know just some of the trends because i think there's some things that are more obvious than others here all right uh i am going to share my screen here let's see if this works uh so this data comes from the cigar association of america uh and first we'll look at the the spikes that happened in 2021 and this one is for what they term large cigars. So the numbers here are in billions. Okay, so they're, they're, it's more than premium hand rolls. Um, there was this spike that I want to say it went from about a little over 13 million to a little under 15 million. I was, so here's my question. Like I look back at this, right? Did, was this something that you noticed as a cigar, someone who's part of the cigar industry or as a consumer? How have you, was this something that was so obvious to you that there was just more cigars in the market like this spike was? Um, I think it's, you know, based on the whole COVID bubble or the boom, whatever you want to call it, that yes, there was going to be a large, a large volume of that. Um, so it doesn't surprise me that the number jumped up that much. I mean, it wasn't going to happen in 2020, the year of the pandemic, just uh -huh. because people aren't like revved up and ready to go with that. So, you know, probably towards the end of 2020, you probably saw a little bit of a bump up, but right. um, yeah, definitely for 2021, everybody was ready. You know, shops were just trying to sell whatever they could sell and, um, you know, starting to see supply chain issues and things like that for some new stuff. So. Um, it doesn't surprise me to see that big bump. And I think it is that, that kind of COVID boom that was going yeah, on. Yeah, I think, I think it definitely was. I mean, the drop, the, the slight drop in 2020 wasn't a surprise because there was this, you know, there was a point where the industry came to a standstill. Yeah, shops were closed, yeah. um, things like that, yeah. Yeah. But here's what surprised me on the second one was Little Cigars. <laughs> and there was right. this huge drop in 2020. of, And these are the cigars that, you know, these are ones that are like, you know, more the Cigarello, uh, those type of cigars. And yeah, but I mean, it's been a downward, it's, uh, it's been downward every year since 2013 until you get that little bump back up in 2021. So right. I don't, I don't know what the, you know, somebody else will be able to chime in and say what this kind of downward trend has been for the last, you know, eight years. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, you know, a lot of it, I think has been, there's been new cigar, uh, people converted. Um, I think the, the other thing I'll just say where I think the downward trend happened was I think there's a lot of people who smoke small cigars that went to other things. I think, I think this is where you see vape coming in right. uh, and things like that, where they, they normally would get that and, and um, they ch it would change. Um, but the I, I guess with the pandemic, people just said, hey, I don't really need to have a small, a small cigar. is not really going to satisfy me. Maybe. They, some of those people converted to, to large cigars. Obviously, there was a rebound in 2021. Um, and I'm curious what the numbers are going to be for 2022. Yeah. Okay. This is premium imports. I don't think there's any surprise here. Right. I think this is what's been imported. This is in millions is what we're seeing here. Um, so here's the one question I want to... It's not really a question. So we've heard the subscription clubs... Um, Pravada has been very public on it saying that, you know, they're this revolution in cigars. Uh, I think a lot of the boutiques look at them saying, Hey, the boot, everyone's going to the boutiques right now. Yeah. But my thing is 
does this number reflect any of the movements that are coming from the, the subscription clubs, um, the, you know, the boutiques? Um, I don't see that. I don't see those moving that line anywhere near this. Just because yeah. all this stuff is small backs that's coming out. Yeah, I think it, yeah. With, with the whole COVID scenario, it's really tough to tell. You have too many things at the, happening at the same time to really say what, yeah. you know, which one it is. I think the COVID one is probably the better explanation. Um, but um, there's probably a small bit of it where the clubs are, are contributing to increased. You know, maybe you're getting new smokers in through the clubs and things like that, where you are seeing a, a bit mm -hmm. of an increase there. But I think people were buying cigars anywhere they could get them. So if they, you know, something they were looking for wasn't available where they you know, normally shop, um, maybe they went to the clubs to, to, to get that. Um, but, you know, the club does have a following. But I, it's this spike is not from solely from the clubs. No, um, I, I would say it's, it's not. It's a COVID thing. Uh, people having more opportunities to smoke, um, things like, of that nature. Um, but yeah, there's, I think there's too many variables at, in this window to be able to say, uh, you know, how much of it is from each of them. Yeah. I, 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 I think there was a lot of companies. I think there was, a. I mean, I think Nicaragua played a role in this. Um, I think a lot of companies tried to get stuff out of Nicaragua for a lot of reasons Yeah, and get them into the U S. Um, and I think that played a, a, a role with that. Uh, yes, there was a COVID demand, but I think. I mean, so these numbers I've been told are, are very similar to boom numbers that we had. Right. Um, now, for 2022, there's some data. I don't have graphs, but I'll, I'll kind of read you the data here. Um, Nicaraguan shipments were up the first. This is reported from I got this from Cigar Aficionado. Um, the CA data wasn't out there yet. Um, Nicaraguan shipments were up the first four months, increasing by 10.3 percent. So it slowed down. I mean, you're going to see this kind of slow down a bit. Right. I, I, I think it was, I don't think you were going to see a spike up to 600 million imports. Yeah. I, I just think that it's just, I don't think that was what was going to happen. Dominican shipments rose by only 4.1%. So, so yeah. that curve is going to be much more gentle if you look at the Dominican ones. And Honduras actually decreased 6.4%. Right. Um, I have some thoughts on what, 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 why those numbers are. I'll give you just my thoughts. I think the Nicaragua numbers, I think, again, I think there's companies that are looking to export fast out of Nicaragua. So I think you're seeing that. I think the Dominican, their production was, they were, they were it seemed like the Dominican was really affected hard by the, by the lockdowns. And for a while, they didn't have the capacity to do what they were doing. So I think they're playing catch up in a lot of cases. I don't have an answer for Honduras at all. The 6.4 decrease. Um, See, my, my understanding was that Honduras was hit quite hard by the they, they were They were. But and I, think, my I would think that that might be a part of what that is. Yeah, but I was I, I thought more that hit in 2020. That was the only reason why I thought unless they were, you know, that's a question I. You know, it's probably a question we ask some of the Honduran makers on that because that that does surprise me. Yeah, uh, it, it just it did surprise me that was a decrease. So I, I was a little surprised as far as that went. Um, so I mean, like I said, I think you're going to see this graph kind of, you'll see a, a, a level off, 
of this. I mean, if it goes up, I don't think it hits 500 million this year, but I think it will be in that 470 to 480 range when this is all done. Yeah. As far as that goes. Um, but yeah, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was interesting to look at that data. Um, I had a couple of other things. Um, so yeah, here's the next thing I wanted. So we've talked, we, we didn't really talk about imports, right? But we have talked about quality, right? Yes. And, and here's my question to you, and I have an answer on this one. So if we look at Nicaragua, Honduras, and the Dominican, um, have you noticed one country have worse quality than the others in terms of the products that you've been smoking? Um, I, I will say a country, but I think that I'm only going to say that I notice it because that's the bulk of what we smoke. And it's just the, it's just the ratio based on how many cigars come from those countries. And that's Nicaragua. Um, but talking to, you know, companies at the trade show, they talk about how hard it is to, um, retain employees in Nicaragua. Um, and I, I'm sure it's it's similar in the other countries. Yeah, but the but workforces we've... I'm assuming are smaller there anyway. Um, but I, yeah, I would say Nicaragua, not Nicaraguan cigars are probably the ones that I've noticed the most the most uh, change in. Yeah, um, I I agree. I think that was the. Um, but when I looked at my data um, of what I reviewed, um surprisingly there was a bigger there was a bigger drop i mean it was it was such a okay so here's what i had the difference i saw in scoring right was it was still pretty close right um 0.37 percent less of average score um i said not percent it was only 0.37 the average score drop in nicaragua it was 0.55 out of Honduras and it was 0.76 in the Dominican. Hmm. So I saw a little more, it was, and I think what the reason why I think the Dominican didn't surprise me as much is from what I understand when the Dominican factories were on um, lock, they went from lockdown to limited capacity. A lot of the companies started outsourcing production to small factories. Right. And I think we saw, I think a lot of the Dominican products we saw, I saw a drop in quality for sure on that. So that may be something that I attribute, but the scores were relatively close. None of them went down a point, but 7.76, that's, that's a little more significant than 0.37. So I don't know. It could be part of the data set that I'm using too, because I I don't disagree with your point that Nicaragua, I think we're going to see the drop in Nicaragua this year for sure. Because I think now you've seen a lot of those. I think the point about the workers is, is very accurate. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was, um, that was definitely one that, um, I saw with that, but, um, do you see anything like what's your, I mean, what's your trend for this year that you're seeing so far? Um, I haven't really looked at the numbers yet comparing them to last year. Um, I wouldn't say necessarily, um, overall score wise that I feel like things are much lower than last year. They're probably on par. Uh Um, but I'd have to run the numbers to really get a good sense of that. Yeah, um, I, I haven't I would, really run my think, numbers either. Yeah, I would think average scoring is pretty similar to last year for us. Yeah. Did you? I know we kind of said we put most of a bow on the PCA coverage. You had some cigars on the show floor. You smoked some stuff when you got home. What was your feeling on what you smoked at the trade show, quality wise? Mm, I have a very hard time at the trade show. 
um, mm-hmm. evaluating cigars. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's not a good environment for me. Uh, my yeah. palate uh, fatigues very quickly. Um, so once I'm two cigars, three cigars in, I'm pretty much done for the day. Um, and, you know, I end up smoking maybe seven, eight cigars in a day. Um, in the evenings, I don't, I don't smoke much. I smoke maybe one cigar in the evening once we're back to the house and things like that. So um, it's just, it's, it's really tough for me. I haven't smoked anything um, that I got at the trade show since I've been back, I don't think. Because um, I've just been back into the review cycle. Yeah, of everything, and I'm I pretty much just smoke one cigar, you know, my review cigar for the day, and that's all I smoke. I don't I don't smoke any other. And today is an exception. I did a review this morning, but then I smoke in a cigar for the evening. But um, yeah, you, I I can't really say much of anything from from that. Um, you know, m- most of the cigars I think that probably um, from that scenario that I think stood out are ones that you know people have have said that they also liked uh ace prime maria lucia um let's see what else did i smoke um actually you know what the um smoking the stallone nino that was a pretty good cigar i didn't get to um, those guys that was one boost we didn't get to yeah I it's a, to it's a very place. strong cigar uh-huh but it's, but it's good um and that, that's one I'll say that maybe, you know, other people haven't talked about really. I thought that was a pretty good cigar. Um, but yeah, those are probably the only that jump out, jump out to me. Interesting what you just said, because so I there wasn't a lot of cigars I chucked this year mm-hmm. at the trade show. Right. And I was making that point to a few people. There wasn't a lot of this like wow factor cigars. I, I do believe that right. the Ace Prime stuff was really good this year. There's no doubt about that. I liked Mas Igneous as well, um, except for the one we had at the opening gala. Right. But um, but I agree, Miriam. So, so there was, but so I said I didn't chuck a lot. But then when I looked at it, I smoked significantly less on the trade show floor this year. Yeah. Um, the first day I did not light up um, because yeah. I was pulling double duty because Nielsen wasn't there and I had to do photography and note taking. It was impossible to take any pictures. I mean, like, to smoke when taking pictures and writing notes, it was just, I couldn't do it. I need to have three or four hands. Right. But even those next couple of days, I significantly cut my consumption down to one or two on the floor um, a day. It's just, I'm finding what, what I need to do on the trade show floor. It's I need a third hand and I don't have it. Right. Even having those guys, you know, having Nielsen back. So that's probably a lot of the reason why, because there were a couple of cigars when I got home that I chucked. But again, right. it, these things were out in the desert, right? So, yeah. you know, that was kind of like my point on it. So, so yeah, it seemed like there was less like dog rockets. I hate to say it, there, but there was less wow, but I smoked less. So yeah. I think that, that's what it came down to. Sure. All right. And I had one more question on, on, the, on, the, on the data we just looked at. So here's my question to you. And this is, this is more of an observation. I don't think there's a way to quantify it. But do you think there was like with these increases that we saw, was there, do you think that, which do you think had the bigger increase? Were there an increase of new smokers or an increase of consumption by existing smokers? And I understand both numbers have increased, but was there one that stood out more ahead of it? I would think it's probably the increase of consumption from existing smokers. That's what I think too. Yeah. 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 So yeah, that's kind of what I thought it was. Um, just because 
I don't know. Like I know some some casual smokers went to more cigars. Um, is what I noticed. So, um, yep. So that was those were my thoughts on, on that for this week's topic. I don't know if you had anything else you wanted to add on that. No, that's it. All right. So it's good. Uh, we wrapped up the show tonight. Um, a word on next week. Um, next week, uh, we continue kind of a kiss this Mombacho theme. We're going to be talking to the guy who left Mombacho, Claudio Sroy. Yeah. Uh, who's gone independent. We're going to talk about the things he was doing. So we'll kind of continue that. Um, and there's no show the following week. And I'll just say this. I have to host a top golf event. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's all I can say. It's yeah. not something related to cigars. Not so I got I, it's I'm hosting a top golf event that day and I can't get back. So yeah, yeah. so I'm very excited about that. As you can tell. Yeah. So I, I asked Aaron, I said, Hey, I can't do the show in two weeks, right? He's like, You're doing another podcast. I mean, no. I said I said, uh, no, I have to host top golf. So Coop so, loves golf. He complains about it. I on a TV at the cigar shop, but he loves golf. Um, you know, when you have a day job, sometimes you got to do, uh, you got to take one for the team is all I'm going to say. So mm-hmm. the good news is I have been asked already by people who are uh, going to this, uh, will I have cigars? So and the answer is yes, I will. So is this um, a PGA themed or a live themed outing? I'm not, I, <laughs> Good question. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess it's PGA, right? Uh, all right. All right. Well, why would it? Well, so what's, what, how would you categorize the difference? Maybe I, I know I that's have no idea. You probably have a lot more money to spend if it's a live theme. Oh, it may be live theme because like, you know, <laughs> the invitation, you don't have to pay for your golf that day. There you go. So, there you go. so, uh, yeah. Uh, and I won't be golfing. I've already announced that. Uh, I'm going to be, like I said, I will be handling all the details of getting people registered. Right. And, uh, but the reason why I got volunteered is it, they, uh, we have one in Charlotte that's scheduled and, um, I am the person who lives in Charlotte. <laughs> so like, yeah. so like, you know, I, I say yes. So, um, so yeah, I am, I am, but I will not be, I, I have gone to top golf once I went, uh, they did want a TP a couple of years ago. I was mm-hmm. not excited about it. So, yeah. so, um, uh, but I had more fun just kind of interacting with people. So, so there'll be no show on the 11th, just so people right. know. Uh, and we'll be working on the schedule after that. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure Joe Grow is going to be giving me a lot of crap when he finds this <laughs> out. So, all right. Uh, again, thanks to uh, Jared uh, for being our guest tonight. Uh, apologies for booting Aaron after the show. Uh, and thanks to our audience as well. That's going to wrap up just at the midnight hour, primetime episode 236 into the Annals of History for Thursday, July 28th and just hitting the stroke at midnight of July 29th on the East coast. We'll see everybody next week. Take care, everybody. See you guys.